This is Mark Stein. After three years in COVID, Stan, it's time to get out of town. So join me on the 2023 Mark Stein Cruise, sailing from Italy to Croatia, Montenegro, Greece, for a full week of sun, sea, and civilizational collapse. I'll have special guests from around the world, from America, Canada, Australia, Britain, Europe, and we'll do all the things you like about the Mark Stein Show and Stein Online, but close up and on water. More details at steinonline.com or marksteincruise.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along. It is March the 3rd, 2023, 3 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That's 4 p.m. in the Canadian Maritimes, half past four in Newfoundland and beyond the Americas. 8 p.m. in London, 9 p.m. in Paris, 10 p.m. in Kiev. I still can't do it. 10 p.m. in Kiev. The 11th hour in Moscow, the 11th hour and a half in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone, 1.45 a.m. in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone, 4 a.m. in Singapore and Hong Kong, 7 a.m. in Sydney and Melbourne, 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning in Auckland and lunchtime beyond in His Majesty's Dominions across the Pacific. And wherever you are on this turbulent earth, this is Mark Stein back with you. For the next 60 minutes or so for another Clubland Q&A, 150 years ago today, March 3rd, 1873, the United States Congress passed the Comstock Law, an act for the suppression of trade in and circulation of obscene literature and articles of immoral use. And so it became a criminal act to send through the U.S. mails obscene publications, sex toys, contraceptives, abortion inducers, and personal letters with any sexual content. Now we have drag queens do, doing uh, children's story time at the library. And uh, down, at, uh, down at the local schoolhouse, teachers advocating the removal of middle school girls' vestigial breasts. So progress. A lot of progress has been made in the uh, 150 years since Congress passed the Comstock Law. 1,550 years ago today, this is a biggie, March the 3rd, uh, 473, 473, Anno Domini, Gundobad, the patrician of the Western Roman Empire, elevated Glycerius, the Count of the Domestics, to the position of emperor, Glycerius is said to have prevented an invasion by the Ostrogoths by bribing them. 
Uh, if you're interested in the short reign of Emperor Glycerius, well, he was born in Dalmatia, and we will be sailing down the Dalmatian coast on this summer's Mark Stein cruise, and we've identified uh, some uh, descendants of Glycerius, uh, 101 Dalmatians, uh, to stand on the shore and welcome us. Uh, aside from the 101 Dalmatians, we have Alexandra, Ava, Leilani, Dominique, Mr. Snurdly, John O'Sullivan, Michelle Backman, Tal Backman. Uh, so if you're a Dalmatian who fancies shooting the breeze with Tal and Michelle, book now at MarkSteinCruise.com. I did three telly shows and a guest shot this week. Uh, oh, I'm doing another guest shot on Monday, I think it is, with James Dellingpole on his Dellingpod. Um, so we're ramping up the production schedule, but cautiously, because I'm suffering terribly from exhaustion, and I don't want to restart all this stuff and then have to go away again. I've had a rough couple of days, actually. I think this is definitely uh, one of the two steps backwards bits, uh, but I'm going to try and make it through the full hour, and I am totally committed, as many of you know, to staying alive long enough to be buried at sea on the Mark Stein cruise. That's my guarantee to you, the Mark Stein cruise guy. Let's get to your questions. You know how this works. Any one of the 8 billion people on this planet is free to listen to this show, and we do hope that at least 6.5 billion, 6.75 billion of you are listening to us right now. You only need to be a Mark Stein Club member to ask me a question, and we have had a ton of new members and returning members this last week, uh, so I hope our newbies will uh, we'll want to go ahead and throw me a head-scratcher for today. With that said, let us get to it and let us uh, see what we've uh, got. Jim from New Jersey says, Hello, Mark. I'm horrified to read that the Biden regime has decided it can single-handedly enter the United States into a, quote, legally binding pandemic treaty with the World Health Organization. Uh, I'm even more horrified at the deafening silence from our elective representatives. No one seems to think this is at all significant. Do you have any thoughts as to how best to push back on this and on this troubling concept of self-ratifying treaties uh, that we first saw with the Paris Climate Accords? Is our best bet court challenges or maybe getting individual states to nullify any unconstitutional treaties? Um I'm, I'm with due respect, we're beyond uh, the power of judges on this. In fact, it's one of the problems, I would say, with uh, constitutional conservatives uh, such as uh, Mark Levin, who think, you know, Ooh, just find the right judge to get in, in front of and, and it'll all. They didn't have this treaty uh, for the last pandemic three years ago. But oddly enough, everyone did the same thing except Sweden, and I think it was Belarus, uh, and various uh, parts of the world that just ignore UN agencies like Africa, which oddly enough uh, emerged with uh, fewer COVID deaths and uh, fewer vaccine deaths just from ignoring the whole thing. And in fact, when this whole World Health Organization treaty came up the first time, the guy who blocked it was the health minister of Botswana, right? So if you, if you really want to uh, block it legally, you ought to figure out a way to get the health minister of Botswana onto the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, that's 
that's the that would be the way to do it. So as I said, the thing about it is the the the, the salient point about February March 2020 is that everybody except the Swedes did uh, the same thing. I have no real idea why the Swedes acted differently. Maybe the instructions from the WHO uh, failed to come through on the fax machine because the fax machine was out of paper that morning. But the fax machine had plenty of paper in Washington, in London, in Ottawa, in Canberra, in Paris, in Berlin, and they all did the same thing, which is the thing that is should really caution American constitutionalists, because it suggests that when there is a kind of global commons, a parliament of man, it's not a parliament of man, it's not a global commons, of course. It's the guy, it's the Davos guys. It's the guys who are beyond nation states and think beyond nation states, as, say, Bill Gates does. Or even Fauci, when Fauci's doing his gain-of-function research in Wuhan. He doesn't He's not thinking. When he does that, he is not thinking as a U.S. citizen. Um, so my thing to this is, is this. by the way, this ties back to what Leilani and I were talking about this week and what uh, Megan Kelly and I were talking about this week, the great walk backening that's going on across the Western world at the moment. And if you look at the stuff there that's being released, I think James Melville, who's been on the Mark Stein show quite a few times, said, you know what they're doing? <laughs> this is all tied to the WHO treaty because they're saying, yeah, we screwed it up. You're right. We don't know anything. You don't know anything. None of us know anything, which is why we can't leave it next time. We won't leave it to the national experts. We're going to leave it to the international experts that Dr. Tedros has in Geneva. And that way, it's all bound to work out. That's what they're setting us up for. That this is this is what the part of what the great walk backening is all about. Say, yeah, we screwed everything up. This just goes to show why you, we can't leave it to national governments accountable to their citizens. <laughs> what kind of cockamamie uh, thesis is that on which to build a response to a global pandemic? We need to leave it to Dr. Tedros and the experts in Geneva. What ultimately has to change, and, and, and Republicans should learn the lesson of this, um, you, can't, you can't expect, look, the country's crap. Everything's crap. Everything's dead. Everything's dying. Everything that Mark Levin talks about is history uh, in the, in the uh, sense of Henry Ford. History is bunk. History is in the... Ah, that's history, it's, meaning it's in the trash can with a lid on it about to be thrown into the dumpster. What needs to change is the people's disposition on these things. The problem is that if you if you polled uh, the country now, half the population and maybe a majority would think it would be quite good to have uh, these uh, global pandemic strategies determined by the WHO. When people talk about UN institutions, you know, they're not thinking of... Uh, corrupt dictatorships uh, getting a little bit of the peacekeeping action in Haiti or Africa so their guys can get uh, a couple of months vacation raping all the schoolgirls. That's actually what the UN is. 
They don't think about it. They're thinking of, uh, you know, Audrey Hepburn at some UNICEF gala in New York, uh, singing songs from many lands with multicultural children. There, there has to be, there has to be a profound uh, shift in the culture uh, before you can, you're really ever going to be out of danger on these on these kinds of things, you know. Yeah, uh, but Joe Biden or whoever's operating waggling the moth-eaten sock puppet that is the dead husk of Joe Biden, because we don't even know that. It's not even possible to say who the chief executive of the. United States is right now. Nobody knows. But whoever it is thinks he can get away with this because uh, things have been gotten away with so many, you know, the power to declare war, uh, which is also supposed uh, to be with Congress. All these alphabet agencies that since the 1930s have rendered actual legislators less and less relevant. The legislators themselves who never read any of the bills they're proposing, they leave, leave it, you know, they leave it just to their thousands and thousands of minions to uh, go ahead with the drafting bill and know what that, you know, th that's the thing. It's, it's, Everything's screwed, and to unscrew it, you have to start by changing the people's disposition on this. Um, otherwise, you're just playing. I mean, I do think there is a lot of truth to that. That part of this whole war, well, you know, yeah, we screwed up. We didn't get right. Masks aren't really uh, any good. So that and social distancing is all rubbish. And maybe it wasn't a good idea to wreck the mental health of a generation of school children. But all this shows is that we were like it was just kind of above our pay grade. But it's not above Dr. Tedros's pay grade in Geneva. So maybe we shall. Most of this great walk back is totally dishonest. Uh, as I mentioned today, uh, the GB News, uh, uh, my late parish, uh, it was uh, the guy who runs GB News, whatever he's called, Angelus Flacidopoulos, Flopidopoulos, I forget what it is. Um, but his thing is, oh, where the disruptor, where the disruptor. His 8 p.m. guy, Right. This is why they've had blah rating. Their rating sunk like a stone. This was supposed to be relaunch week of the primetime schedule after my departure. And uh, instead, the rating sank Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And on Thursday, Jacob Rees-Mogg, my replacement, wrapped up his first week by coming fourth place after not only the BBC and Sky, but Piers Morgan on Rupert Murdoch's talk TV. As you know, uh, until my heart attacks, I was beating uh, peers night after night after night after night. Uh, Sky News, night after night after night after. Oh, they won that one. Night after night after night after night after. Oh, they won a second one that night. And we beat the BBC some night. Now their replacement is a fourth place flopperoo. Why is that? This ought to have been a big week for a so-called media alternative because the mainstream media narrative of the last three years has been exposed as total crapola. But nobody wanted Instead, uh, GB News just continued its pathetic uh, decline. Why? Because uh, people have, have discerned that it isn't actually 
an, an alternative to anything. It isn't a disruptor. Hey, it's 8 o'clock, and that means it's time for the Lord President of His Majesty's Privy Council Show. And here's your host, the guy who, uh, at a time when 200,000 uh, people were waiting for their COVID tests, had one expressly couriered to his house, jumped the queue for his kid, and it was taken straight to the laboratory. Look, I don't even care about the stupid COVID tests. I'm with Trump early on in this thing. You know, oh, we don't have any tests, uh, so we're ramping up testing. Uh, and a couple of months later, Trump's giving some speech somewhere, and he goes, could you please stop testing people for COVID? The, the COVID test is garbage. And, uh, you know, if you tested people for anything on the scale of COVID testing, you'd never open the economy. Oh, we've just been doing tests and it seems there's a 17% increase in genital warts. We have to shut down the economy. If you tested for everything the way you tested for COVID, you'd never leave the house. So it's a fake indicator. But what's important is that GB News's FACO contrarian people's representative guest host jumped the queue uh, uh, for that uh, fake metric. Um, so the, the, that's the real takeaway. You know, the reason why they can say, yeah, we're going to let the, the follow the science. The scientists were wrong. The experts were wrong. People who didn't really know a lot about this kind of thing uh, they're not virologists. They're not epidemiologists. They're not stati statisticians. Uh, but their instincts were right, like my friend Leilani, who was more right than all the fellows who got knighthoods in London and all the fellows who got Vanity Fair covers and all the other rubbish uh, in the United States. So if this is to be prevented... Um, and I'm in favor. Trump had the right idea. I don't. The WHO is controlled by China. Uh, the best way to get out, the, be, the best way to avoid the WHO is by not being in the WHO. You know, so now they're pretending, oh, yeah, we would love to know the source of the COVID outbreak. We would love to know the source. We're not getting much cooperation from China. Yeah, well, why don't you're bought and paid for by China, Dr. Tedros? Why don't you just get on the phone to your pal Chairman Xi, if that's the issue? Frank Gallenstein says, hi, Mark. I enjoyed Megyn Kelly's interview. You are a gentleman, Mark. Did you happen to watch or read about Jill Biden's interview at CNN and her response to how she provides the president advice and influences him? She tells him stories. I suspect it's subliminal. Yeah, and then he wakes up and he starts going on about uh, corn pop and Pearl Nelson, the nurse who breathed, the nurse who breathed in Joe's ear and thereby gave him the idea to breathe in every seven-year-old schoolgirl's ear. Um, I believe she's running the show and does not want to lose her power. So uh, Frank thinks she's uh, Mrs. Woodrow Wilson. Uh, otherwise, she'd have the decency and compassion for her husband uh, by getting him off the national stage. We need to start delving deeper into her positions on policies. Your thoughts? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. At that level, it's an arrangement. You're right. If she cared about the guy, 
you know, uh, he'd 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 be uh, back at one of their many fine properties. They've got beach houses hither and yon. Uh, they'd be back at the beach house, and uh, and 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 he'd just be sitting there watching uh, watching Matlock and Murder She Wrote reruns and be perfectly happy. But we can't say. For, I would be surprised if it's Jill. I don't doubt she has influence. I mean, because she's as Joe Biden used to say with Obama. Um, you know, I'm the first person in the room with him and the last person out of the room. <laughs> and Jill can go one better because she's the, uh, la- the the first person he sees first thing in the morning and the last person he sees last thing at night. But we don't know. I mean, we're, we're watching some crazy, zany... I, I was talking with Megyn Kelly about how the one thing politicians have functioning politicians who've been around year after year winning elections. And they have this thing that uh, this this sense of tone when something it rises in your gullet and then you think, oh, no, that's not appropriate. And it goes back down your gullet. And what offended Trump, what offended people about Trump was that he didn't have one of those. So he'd just come out and say it. You know, uh, we're introducing a Muslim ban until we can figure out what the hell is going on uh, and all the rest of it. And that isn't the case. Joe Biden was supposed to be the antidote to Trump. But in fact, his, uh, you know, the the tonal detector in his gullet is even more dysfunctional. Uh, so that's why he says the weird, weird things that if... You know, it doesn't matter which Republican you're talking about, but if not, never mind Trump, if John Kasich and Jeb Bush were going around saying things like this, they'd be writing about it all the time. So it's only because the the media the, the on, on the Democrat side have reduced themselves to court eunuchs that they don't. But we do not know. You can have your own theories about this, you know, in a sense... The money one is the obvious one. He's the Manchurian candidate. He's bought and paid for by China. The laptop that the awful corrupt FBI now says is real is full of stuff about 10% for the big guy. You add up 10% for the big guy, whatever percentage his brother Jim is on, whatever percentage Hunter is on, and then you think about what the Chinese have on these guys to make that investment worthwhile. You know, it's, it may be just being a bit parochial to think that uh, the dead husk of Joe Biden is being waggled by an American. That may just be part of the terrible parochialism in which uh, politics in America is conducted. Because if there's anything that's clear from Hunter Biden's laptop, it's that all the dough comes from hostile foreign powers. When you're getting millions of dollars for no apparent reason from the wife of the mayor of Moscow, why would you think that, you know, some fine upstanding all-American type from Idaho or wherever is controlling is controlling the president? Alyssa Angel uh, says, how is it possible that brain-dead U.S. Senator John Fetterman... Uh, John Fetterman is the uh, senator from Pennsylvania, uh, and he also played the part of the monster in the putting on the Ritz routine from uh, Mel Brooks' Young Frankenstein. 
Uh, and he hasn't been seen in public for two weeks because he's allegedly hospitalized and completely incapacitated. Um, and Ellis Angel wants to know, why is he still more able to advance his party's platform than the brain-dead Republicans who are physically showing up at the U.S. Capitol? Yeah, because uh, in the end, uh, you don't really need, I mean, as we see with the president and now with the senator from Pennsylvania, his family has fled to Canada, by the way. They may be real. You know, again, that may be the real version of Jill Biden. If Jill Biden were real, maybe she'd flee to Canada. Uh, but Mrs. Fetterman and the kids did because uh, they felt they couldn't handle uh, what was going on, even though it was a sympathetic press, but they couldn't take... Now, what happened, obviously, is that she and the family came to an arrangement uh, and agreed to sign on to him becoming senator from Pennsylvania. And then at a certain point, uh, you know, she woke up and there's all the TV trucks outside the house demanding to know why she isn't in the hospital with her hubby. And uh, she thought, screw the arrangement, and they hightailed it off to Canada. But the fact is, they don't, they don't need flesh and blood people there because the agenda is all agreed upon uh, and the staffer, talk, the staffer for the uh, Pennsylvania senators talks to the staffer uh, for Chuck Schumer and the staffer for Chuck Schumer talks to the staffer for Joe Biden and the staffer for Joe Biden talks to the staffer for Nancy Pelosi and they're all agreed. No actual real legislators need to be uh, involved in this. That's why you can get away with... I see that poor... Diane Feinstein is, uh, is in hospital for shingles. She's said that uh, she's 89, she's not going to run again, mainly because nothing she says makes very much sense anymore. But it doesn't matter because there's a shadow, the, there's a shadow government. Uh, staffer shall speak truth unto staffer, and they're all handling it. Now, the Republicans are cut out of that deal. And then, of course, you have the, you know, the media on board. Republicans are cut out of that deal, but you can make you can have a pretty nice life as minority leader or even as an obstructionist speaker of the House like Paul Ryan. And that's enough for them under the and I, I always qualify this by saying, you know, we're all going off the cliff. So arguing whether a constitutional republic is better than a constitutional monarchy or a monarchical republic such as France. This is all sort of, this is all nitpicking because we're all going off the cliff. But certainly the idea, the, 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 we are not yet at the stage where in a constitutional monarchy such as Canada or Australia or uh, the monarchical republic uh, such as France's Fifth Republic, you would be able to have actual dead people being elected and serving effectively in office. For the moment, that seems to be a peculiarly American uh, thing. JB says, you mentioned, Mark, that you and some of your associates had taken the Ofcom courses and passed with flying colors. If you passed, was there an exam? Very curious to know what would be a question on the exam and what would be the correct answer. Really, if you're that interested... I did. They do these things where they, you know, explain the whole the Ofcom compliance officer, which in the case of GB News is a uh, terrible person called Nick Pollard. 
Um, but I had a one-on-one -on -one with Nick Poller before you can be before you can be allowed on air in Britain. You have to. It's it's like before you can uh, drive a car, you have to pass your uh, driving test, and that's how it is on the British airwaves. Before you can host a show, you have to do the Ofcom test. They, this is, I don't know whether this is a recent thing I said to Nick Pollard. Look, I go back a long way with these UK media regulators, all the way to the IBA, Lady Plowden of blessed memory. That was, uh, I, can, I, can, uh, I can assure you, uh, you know, and then other ones came along and then they created this new thing, Ofcom, which, oddly enough, has more powers and is being given more powers and Ofcom compliance officers like Nick Pollard. Because in my day in UK broadcasting, you didn't have the Ofcom people in the building on your back. But all our producers did it. Um, they were, by which I mean our North American in-house producer, American and Canadian, some some of whose names you'd know, but one of them happened to do the Ofcom test with uh, Mark Dolan, who is a late-night host uh, on GB News and a comedian, and he was very obviously taking the piss, and I think he was a guest host for me when they were screwing me over in December and January. But um, he he very uh, he was very much taking the piss out of these guys as they deserve to. Thing about it is, Ofcom again ought to be in as bad odor as people like Matt Hancock, the UK Health Secretary. They took the side of Matt Hancock uh, in um, in the whole over the last three years, over the COVID years, with their so-called advice. Their advice, you know, they talk about the chilling effect. In U.S. law and in Canadian human rights, oh, yeah, we don't want to have a chilling effect. Well, Ofcom does want a chilling effect. That's why they chill. That's why GB News has derived no benefit uh, from the turn of the narrative in the U.K. this week, because the chilling effect was such that that, uh, that uh, what's he called, Flopidopolis, such a Nancy boy, uh, that he preconceded to them. So he's so. If you're interested in countering the counter to the narrative that was destroyed this week, I mean, if I'd still been there, you know, uh, we would have been taking victory laps. We'd have been doing it all week. But they can't even do that because that pussy, what's he called, Pussy Doppelus? I forget his name, but he's pre-surrendered to them. Uh, it's it's um, it's. Uh, so these exams, they're a joke, really. And I'll tell you why, since you asked me about this, I don't want to keep going on about this. But here am I, uh, you know, in American terms, uh, I am a reluctant supporter of re Republican candidates, even though I think it's a largely useless party. And the two-party, frozen two-party system for a century and a half in this country has been terribly destructive. There's nothing like it anywhere in the so-called free world. It's been terribly destructive. And then we get to Canada, where parties come and go rather more frequently. But even so, you know, I am a reluctant supporter of the Conservative Party in Canada because they keep electing these squish-pants pseudo-conservatives who 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 uh, who fold uh, quicker than the valet at Downton Abbey? Uh, so I'm um, I'm really uh, 
I, I, I've got little time for them. But what's happened in the United Kingdom is even I you go there and if you've been out of the UK media for as long as I have and you switch on the TV, switch on, watch BBC News, watch ITV, and you realise the conversation is nowhere uh, where it's meant to be. And what Ofcom are into is that everyone done, does this boring stuff that is why people have no interest in Oh, well, we've spoken for three minutes to a Labour Party MP, so now we're going to speak for three minutes to a Conservative Party MP. And that's called balance, and that shows that we're doing... None of that applies to me. The, the issues I, uh, I was doing at GB News, this is why you're wasting your time watching someone on the inside, like this Rhys Mogadon guy... The issues I was talking about there, I'm up against all the political parties because the horrible thing about the COVID years is that almost everywhere you looked, the opposition agreed with the government. So you had a non-conservative conservative government uh, whose uh, so-called loyal opposition was in favour of the same policies. Uh, you go to the fringe secessionist parties in the Celtic redoubts, the Scottish National Party is in favour of the same parties. In Northern Ireland, uh, as a practical matter, both loyalists and republicans, both the Democratic Unionists and Sinn Féin are in favour. So all these so-called you know, Celtic secessionist parties like Sinn Féin and the Scottish Nationalists and Plaid Cymru and Wales all want to leave the United Kingdom to set up a country whose COVID policies are exactly the same. So I was I so the the whole Ofcom oh ping pong boring punch and Judy between the Labour guy and the Conservative guy the Democrat guy the Republican guy that doesn't work in the context like this where some of us are up against every bloody political party in the Western world on these issues and it's exactly the same thing with other stuff like grooming gangs. You know, grooming gangs, the, the girls are being raped. The white working class girls are being raped by Pakistani child rape gangs in mostly uh, labor run towns. But on the other hand, the conservative government doesn't do anything about it either. So what I was doing is uh, I was up against the entire political class. And now they put, you know... <laughs> And now they've replaced me with the Lord President of His Majesty's Privy Council. Fourth place last night. Did I mention that? I may mention it again. Uh, anyway, thank you. <laughs> I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to have a pause before I get uh, any more catty. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Um, before, this is kind of connected in a way. It's certainly connected to uh, Chicob 19 and coronaviruses in general. Uh, before February fades too far into the rear view mirror, uh, I'm going to note the passing of Huey Piano Smith last month. At the age of 89, Huey Piano Smith, as the name suggests, he was a pianist from New Orleans, uh, but he was also a songwriter. And uh, this was a rather small hit for him in 1957, uh, but it stuck around and in the 66 years since has been sung by innumerable performers. There was a thing called walk-in pneumonia around back then. 
there's a medical name for it, uh, but that's how it was popularly known. Not so much today, but it certainly was back then. Uh, walking pneumonia is so called because it's pneumonia, but you can still walk around with it. My dear makeup lady, Christiana, uh, who makes me look so much more fabulous on camera than I do off camera in my present haggard state. Uh, poor Christiana currently has pneumonia and she isn't really walking around with it at all. Uh, but we send her our best wishes and hope she's back in the studio very soon. Uh, but in 1957, there was a lot of walking pneumonia walking around. And there was also the Asian flu, which had just landed from Singapore and killed something like 100,000 people in the United States. And this is the difference between now and then. Huey Piano Smith uh, was hearing about the uh, walking pneumonia and uh, the Asian flu and thought, oh, there's a lot of respiratory ailments going around at the moment. Maybe I can get a hit out of that. As I said, everyone's done it from Patti LaBelle and Johnny Rivers to Aerosmith and the Grateful Dead. I happen to like this version. Georgie Fame, I got the rockin' pneumonia and the boogie-woogie flu. I wanna jump, but I'm afraid I'll fall. I wanna holler, but the joint's too small. Young men with got a hold on me too. I got a rockin' pneumonia and a boogie-woogie flu. I want some other neighbor that ain't all. Fame sings a song written by Huey Piano Smith in 1957 when there was a lot of walking pneumonia and Asian flu, but he had the rockin' pneumonia and the boogie-woogie flu. No topical pop culture today. Nobody writes, I got the Faucian variant and the boogie-wuhan flu. If you're a fan of uh, 
Huey Piano Smith, the performer, and you think I should have played his original version there rather than Georgie Fame? Well, here's another hit by Mr. Smith, and again, everybody has done this song. Frankie Ford, Bobby V, Herman's Hermits, Jose Feliciano, Don McLean, The Beach Boys, Jimmy Buffett. But here's how it sounded first time round. Old man rhythm is in my shoes. No use to sitting and singing the blues. So be my guest, you got nothing to lose. Won't you let me take you on a see through? Who we? Who we, baby? Who we? Who we, baby? Who we? Who we, baby? Won't you let me take you on a see through? Like jumping, baby. written by Huey Piano Smith, who died in February. Uh, won't you let me take you on a sea cruise? We sail in July from Trieste down the Adriatic coast uh, to Croatia, Montenegro, the Greek islands. And unlike Huey Smith, I'm assisted by Mr. Snurdly, Michelle Buckman, Ava Velarding, a broke book now before all the best cabins go. You can go to MarkSteinCruise.com. We're going to have a ball at sea. You will love it. Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A live around the planet. It's 18 to 9, Greenwich Mean Time. Uh, and actually, speaking of my cruise chums, Timothy McDonald says, Mark, please discuss how you came to meet each of your frequent guests to your show. Did they know who you were when you met them? Or were you there to interview them? How did all that come about? They seem an eclectic bunch, but lots of fun and have interesting opinions. Just do your cruise guests for brevity. Oh, that's telling me. <laughs> Take care and don't die on us, says Timothy uh, McDonald. Uh, it's been a tough couple of days on that last point. Sometimes, some, some 
sometimes the people who are on with me are people I go back a long way with. John O'Sullivan, for example. I've worked with John O'Sullivan in three different countries. Uh, at the Daily Telegraph in uh, in London, at uh, the National Post in Canada, at National Review in the United States, we go we go back a very long way. Uh, and then there's other there's others who you just I mentioned to Alexandra Marshall the other day. I came I just happened to see something. Uh, one of the things that depresses me is as Alexandra and I were talking about is that newspapers and magazines are so crappily written now. You know, I could stick a a good left-wing argument in the way that uh, Christopher Hitchens used to make them uh, as long as it was made with some verve and wit and style. And there's very little of that even in magazines that were once famous for them. So when I was on The Spectator's Australian website and I saw a piece by uh, Alexander, I thought, oh, this is rather good. And that's why I asked her on the show. And sometimes when you ask a print person on a show they're really not terribly good on tv or radio but alexandra was and so we had her back and we had her back and we had her back now she's got her own show uh so it, it's it works it works every it works every which way but i do think you know i i the certain kinds of people who just do the sort of partisan punch and judy thing that bore the pants off me i'm always interested in people who've got an interesting uh thing to uh interesting angle on things. Eric Dale says, Mark and fellow club members, when do the so-called disinformation enforcers who deplatformed and shouted down any suggestion uh, that COVID-19 leaked from a lab? Now, we saw this week as Megan and I were discussing, Fauci has said the lab leak theory is true. Fauci was intimately involved with closing down the lab leak theory and getting that guy uh, to uh, at, at Eco Health Alliance, um, Peter Daszak. He's a British guy, but he runs this thing that gets all this money from U.S. taxpayers, specifically from Fauci, and it conducts gain of function research in Wuhan. So he was keen at the uh, in February 2020 when it mattered. Uh, because Fauci's fingerprints would have been on. This is the point to remember. Fauci's fingerprints are on the COVID. You know, so we may, that's why is all the, all pangolins, bats, oh, uh, bat market, pangolin market, pang, the bat gave it to the pangolin. What can you do about that? Uh, no, uh, Fauci gave money from uh, taxpayers in uh, West Virginia and in Kansas and in Iowa and in Maine, uh, they mailed their checks to the United States Treasury, and then the United States Treasury gave them to Peter Daszak at Eco Health Alliance, and Peter Daszak at Eco Health Alliance used it to conduct gain of function research in Wuhan, from where Chicom 19 leaked. So this is a modified limited hangout, as Nixon used to say. Um, and Eric Dale says, shouldn't there be a certain inner journalistic self-respect that they won't be used again like that kicking in? Or are those in media that far gone? They're that far gone. When you talk about certain inner journalistic self-respect, they are full of self-respect. 
you know, in American terms, they're full of self-esteem and their self-esteem arises from the fact that they are servants of the narrative because the narrative is ushering in a better world as they see it. And so uh, the fact that they're now having to turn on a dime and say, instead of getting you kicked off Twitter for your lab leak theory, uh, now Fauci's uh, all for the lab leak. So that's that's okay. Tough on you guys who spent three years talking about the lab leak uh, theory. Um, But uh, but, you know, uh, the needs of the narrative must prevail. Oh, by the way, while I mentioned I mentioned Ava Velarding and broke the other Ava is full of courage. Ava is so full of courage. That's that's what I like about her. Uh, she's, you know, a fifth of my age, um, but she's not scared of anything. She was today permanently suspended from Twitter because of her accurate precy of a terrible story. You know, uh, one of these diverse, vibrantly diverse immigrants uh, getting a little too frisky with the schoolgirls. And Ava gave a very accurate praise of that. And as a result, she has been permanently suspended from Twitter. That's why this whole, oh, we need a savior, Elon Musk, out of the felt in South Africa, has come to save us. Yeah. It's not going to make any difference. Elon Musk isn't in charge of that company. Elon Musk is the chief executive and he has thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of woke minions, one of whom has permanently suspended Ava for a perfectly accurate tweet. Norman Fenton, distinguished man and a member of the Mark Stein Club, says, Mark, I assume you're aware of the NICE guidelines. That's the National Institute for Clinical Excellence or whatever it is, a very uh, Aldous Huxleyan name, uh, a very Orwellian name, of the NICE guidelines, NG163, published in April 2020, since removed, that recommended the use of midazolam, etc., for COVID patients. But few people seem to be aware that not only did the British Medical Journal publish NG163, but on April the 20th, 2020, it published a rapid response letter by eminent experts in palliative care warning of the dangers of administering treatment more appropriate for end-of-life care to COVID patients. This provides more evidence for the hypothesis that it was the catastrophic response to the virus and not the virus itself, which was the main factor in the excess death peak in spring 2020. Uh, The release of the WhatsApp nonsense, these are all these WhatsApp messages between Matt Hancock, uh, Boris Johnson and assorted other parties that have just been released in the UK. Uh, The release of the WhatsApp nonsense now serves two purposes. One, to distract attention away from the impact of the NG163 death protocol. And two, to get people used to the idea that future pandemics need to be managed by more, quote, competent international organizations like the WHO, as we were talking about just 20 minutes ago or whatever it was, Norman. And, yeah, you're right. There's the stuff that shouldn't have been given. And then there's the stuff that could have been given, uh, like ivermectin, but that wasn't uh, because there was no money in it for all. I mean, this is really the 
This is really the interesting thing. When you think of, say, uh, Chinese subversion, subversion by hostile powers, you generally think they'll be, you know, uh, subverting some some guy deep in the intelligence, some guy in the CIA or some guy in MI6. That, that's what subversion means. But it actually turns out that subversion of the public health age, uh, public health world is actually more, per bang, bang for the buck, is actually more lucrative than anything. Certainly, uh, the and if you and and if once you've corrupted these agencies, so that whatever it's called, the MHRA in the UK and uh, equivalent bodies elsewhere, are all in the pay of uh, big pharma. Then what's going to matter is how much money is it is in this for the people who count, and uh, the fact is that urgent. Uh, fast, fast treatment of uh, therapeutic treatment of COVID people with COVID would be was actually more effective than developing any of these vaccines. But there wasn't any money in it. Now Norman gets to the heart of it here. It was when he says this provides more evidence that it was the catastrophic response to the virus and not the virus itself which was the main factor in the excess death peak in spring 2020. And this is true not just for the UK. It's true for Canada. It's true for um, US states such as New York, where the decisions made by government killed huge numbers of elderly people. Uh, so we were doing this supposedly to protect granny, and then Andrew Cuomo killed granny anyway. And I think that is I think that's the takeaway. But that that's again, I go back to why, you know, they're doing, as Norman concludes, the release of these WhatsApp messages. Fauci's modified walkback is designed to say, OK, folks, we got a lot of things wrong, but it's over. We're all in this together. Let's forgive and forget. Blah, 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 blah. No, there has to be a reckoning. And here's the very minimum. I would like people to go to jail for the decisions that were taken, which was a huge assaults. And this is, again, why I don't put faith in the courts, because the courts, for the most part, with one or two exceptions, like that one fabulous fellow in whatever Midwestern state it was, who just stuck a rocket up the totalitarians, all their things. You can't go boating. You can't be alone on a boat on a lake because of COVID. And, and he said, screw that. But they're very few and far between those judges. Most courts went along. A court in Canada said, no, uh, the, the, the hospitals are within their right to deny life-saving care to unvaccinated patients. In effect, the, the, they don't do death sentences in Canada anymore. They don't have the judge putting the black cap on top of the wig and saying, I direct that you be taken from here to a place of execution and hang by the neck until dead. They don't do that in Canada. And yet the court the Canadian courts are happy to impose de facto death sentences by supporting the right of hospitals, public hospitals, to refuse treatment to unvaccinated people. Now, they're doing this modified limited hangout every place on earth because it's their intention 
uh, as Norman says, to let the WHO impose a one-size-fits-all policy next time around. By the way, one-size-fits-all policy is part, all, every, all 8 billion people on the planet need to take uh, the COVID vaccines. That's One-size-fits-all is, uh, is why there are so many people dead and injured. And it is... Uh, it is it is quite there is what is dis, depressing is that if you go on Twitter, the kind of people who club Ava Velardinger broke's tweet into a pulp and then contact Twitter to get her bounced from the platform. These morons, these morons will still tell you that, oh, there's a million, million, million. All these people are dead of COVID, dead of COVID. no. As Norman Fenton says, they're dead because, and as these WhatsApp messages reveal, they're dead because of the decisions taken by the government on how to deal, which was an abandonment of, uh, of, of how you treat respiratory viruses for virtually the whole of human history. You can go back and, and uh, as I mentioned to Megan, uh, when we, well, you can go and listen to it right on this website, uh, a diary of the plague year from the Great Plague of London. Nobody was as nutty, nobody was as nutty then as they've been uh, now. Uh, so quite, quite, uh, quite uh, this, uh, this, well, here's one more from Drew Weber. Uh, wishing you the best in your recovery. FBI director stated the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. NPR dutifully runs a headline three years into COVID pandemic. Disease origins remain a mystery. As an aside, why use the plural as there would only be one origin? National Security Council states that there is not consensus in the U.S. government on how it started. The Senate wishes to declassify intelligence and hold hearings on the matter. All well and good, as the saying goes, be careful what you ask for as you might get it. Say the Senate concluded the worst, that the CCP purposefully created and unleashed the virus on the world. We have spent decades creating a weak poker hand with respect to China. What will we do? Stop selling our debt to China? Stop buying medicines and essentials? Essentials from China. It's not just to go back to a point I made earlier. It's not just China. It's what happens when Americans, when the American government, when Doc Fauci, when U.S. taxpayers get in bed with China. That's you know, China is China, as 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 uh, Kipling. Uh, was one to say, East is East and West is West, and there the twain shall meet. Well, East is East and West is West, and they meet in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where American tax dollars are doing gain-of-function research in a lab operating to Chinese security protocols. It's the American fingerprints that Fauci was keen to cover up. And again, you quote the way NPR report, was it NPR reports it? Uh, three years into COVID pandemic, disease origins remain a mystery. It's, it's because they liked the, the last three years, centralized power in ways that the beneficiaries of it are reluctant to give up. Now, just to come back to what I was saying, I said on GB News, right, 
that nobody involved in the last three years should be heard from again. If you were in government in Canada, in the United Kingdom, in France, in Austria, in New Zealand these last three years, go away. Take early retirement. We're done with you. Uh, that's that's if you that's if people are you know not minded to send them to jail. Uh, but instead, as I said, you know the disruptor GB News. <laughs> they they hire Jacob Rees-Mogg, who signed off on all the bollocks. But aside from being a beneficiary of the political corruption that attended the last three years, uh, he supported it all. And so you think he's going to be talking? Do you think he cares about COVID vaccine victims? Do you think he cares about Vicky Spit and Charlotte Wright? Of course not. Of course not. He, ran, he was leader of the House of Commons for much of this period. So he's been the obstruction to any honest talk about the damage done. GB News is a joke hiring the fourth place flopperoo like that. Complete joke. Um, uh, we can't, we can't, uh, uh, let's see what we got. Oh, Alison Castellina says, Hi, Mark, I'm on the mass of WhatsApp messages that the Daily Telegraph is currently analyzing, sent between Boris Johnson, Matt Hancock, the health secretary, and others during the pandemic. The zombie follow the science approach seems scarcely evident. I presume you're not surprised. No. Boris is a lazy fellow. He's been lazy, uh, when, except when it comes to self-promotion. He's been a lazy chap all the decades. I've known him, certainly at The Telegraph and The Spectator. And the, the, when he's pointing out to Matt Hancock, oh, well, wait a minute, as I understand it, uh, this, this thing is completely harmless to anybody under... 35, it, can, it poses a 6% threat uh, if you're over 80. So why don't, you know, why don't we just tell the old people to look after themselves rather than uh, doing all this big shutdown? And then, of course, Matt Hancock pushes back on that. Everybody loves the idea of being at the centre of things. So if you're like the so-called government science advisor, if these guys like Sir Chris Whitty and Sir Sir Patrick Valance, he's twice a night, uh, and twice a night is more than Boris can manage these days, I understand. So anyway, uh, these guys are labouring away in obscurity. Something comes along and they're suddenly giving, same thing with Fauci, giving press conferences. Every That's all well and good for them. It's not how... The weakening, the strengthening of the bureaucracy and the weakening of legislatures has been one of the worst things about this awful period. Thank you for that question, Alison. Uh, Johnny Woodrow says, uh, Dear Mark, I'm reading After America, having finished America Alone. Both continue to provide a lasting analysis of our times. I'm very thankful for your work. Why do the left have such a problem with data? Is it because they're always fixated on a utopian world they hope will one day arrive? And so because it isn't here yet, it can't be measured and tested and refuted. Didn't Mark argue that 
Marx argued that socialism hadn't arrived yet as the end of history and so couldn't be subjected to scientific or moral scrutiny. They take all data like rising crime in the cities they run not as a sign of the failure of their ideology, but as evidence of the failure of the world they want to overturn. While conservatives look at the data on the world we are in and analyze it in light of the gathered solutions of the past to determine real world solutions to today's problems. Do we actually need to develop techniques uh, used to coaxing people out of end time cults in order to engage the left? I think it's beyond that. People are not, when you say talk about data, people are not terribly numerate. So when they say, you know, when um, America Alone came out and I'd be talking about uh, birth rates and they'd be, uh, they'd be saying, oh, yes, no, but that's just speculative in the future. Uh, and, I, and I would say, no, I'd say if you have, you know, half a million people born this year, but you, uh, you're only going to have half a million people entering the workforce in 20 years' time. That's known. So take a look at the nursery, uh, because that can tell you a lot of things. So, And you see it in the United States, what you see it is the Hispanic population in such and such a high school is small. The Hispanic population in such and such a middle school in the same town is bigger, and the Hispanic population in the grade school is biggest still. That tells you what the future of that town is. Likewise, if you uh, take uh, a town like Antwerp in Belgium, it's the same thing. The the uh, Muslim population of the high school is such and such. The middle school population is bigger still. The grade school, primary school population is biggest of all. Uh, so these these are people don't understand. People didn't understand the most basic argument of America alone, which is that say um, in in uh, if if you've got if ninety percent of the people have. 1.2, 1.3 children, which was the it is the collapse fertility rate in countries like uh, Greece and Spain. When I wrote my book, ninety percent of the people have a 1.3 percent fertility rate. Ten percent of the people uh, have a 3.5 children, which is the estimate of European Muslims. So the 10 percent. And the 90% actually have the same number of grandchildren. They catch up very fast. But people can't see that because they only see the 10% and they don't can't grasp how quickly the 10% catches up with the 90%. And it's, tra- and it's tragic. And it's tragic. And I see it, actually. I mentioned this to Megan, too. Because, uh, as you know... Um, I know Burlington, Vermont, uh, rather well, and it used to be a pleasant, pleasant place when I first came to it. Um, the, the the I never parked, I never locked my car there, never thought of doing that. Uh, would kiss goodnight to my date, and she would walk down Church Street in the heart heart of town on her own. Never thought anything of it. There was no debt. Now it's. Now it's and, and uh, what's his name the uh, the token conservative David Brooks on N, token conservative on PBS and NPR and New York Times he wrote a book on the post political nature of latte towns like Burlington Vermont it wasn't post political 
It was actually left-wing utopian crapola. And left-wing utopian crapola has led to stabbings and shootings and nobody uh, wants to be in Church Street, Burlington, Vermont uh, anymore. And uh, it looks terrible. Oh, Vermont, it's so lovely, very Vermonty, Ben and Jerry. It's a crap hole, and it's going to drag down the entire... That's how bad it is. It's not just that it wrecks Detroit and San Francisco. It's wrecking Vermont, all this stuff. Because the utopians, as I said, they don't, under- they don't understand. Hate has no home here. Lovely sign. So instead, you know, phony uh, Islamic refugees have a home here. And uh, and and uh, M I what what's it called M sixteen not M I six I'm getting all confused now yeah and Latin American gangs have a home here and all that they wreck everything they touch because that's all they know how to do <laughs> uh, oh a bit of a downer note to end on that uh, I did my best <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm I'm not, as I said, I, I'm amazed uh, to be here because I didn't think I'd make it an hour ago because uh, I wasn't feeling great. So we'll have a little bit of music to close, as we always do. I'm in a sentimental mood. And so the music is uh, mainly out of gratitude to my Provencal nurses. And just in case, Angelus uh, Flopadopoulos of GB News and Judge Irving of the District of Columbia Superior Court succeed in inducing a third and fatal heart attack, which I don't entirely rule out. I don't entirely uh, rule out. I think I'm not sure. I can't remember because I gave up reading his stupid rulings. I'm not sure whether judge uh, doctors in four different countries believe that I've had a heart attack. I'm not sure whether Judge Irving... Uh, is is still sceptical of whether my heart attacks are just uh, a faint uh, or not. Uh, but up his, uh, you'd have con- if you'd read the thing he, the motion he, the ruling he wrote. I think uh, you'd have total contempt for that judge too. Anyway, I should stop insulting uh, District of Columbia Superior Court judges because it's probably not in my interest as a defendant. Uh, but anyway. Um, because of my uh, fabulous uh, Provencal nurses, I've been having a grand Everything Must Go massive storewide clearance sale of my French bottom drawer. And as you know, because as part of our French lesson last week, bottom drawer in French is le tiroir de ma derrière. Uh, so this is from le tiroir de ma derrière. Sometimes the song can have a completely different character. In English and in French, this song was written in 1926 in America, and it's a song about a song. That's to say, a song about another song from the 1890s. And in 1926, it was kind of a minor hit for some barbershop quartet, nothing big. And a generation later, a Gallic parolier called Max François put entirely different French words to it. And a song about barbershop quartets singing a beloved favorite from the 1890s became, in French, uh, a conventional love song. Plus je t'embrasse, plus j'aime t'embrasser, plus je t'enlace, plus j'aime t'enlacer. The more I kiss you, the more I love to kiss you, the more I embrace you, the more I love to embrace you. You know, it's it's sort of basic uh, boy meets girl, moon, June stuff. Uh, but... Uh, 
rather lovely, set to the tune. And then in the 1950s, the original 1926 English version came back and was a monster hit uh, for the four aces and then got picked up by Max Bygraves, Bing Crosby, Trini Lopez, all kinds of singers. And it always tickled me that it was the same tune, but two entirely different songs. In the English world, a hearty workout for male vocal groups, and in the French world, a love song for sexy chanteurs. Uh, and so this started out as a party piece, uh, worked out one day with my friend Monique Fauteur in Quebec. Uh, she was vocal coaching me through a rather difficult song, and I needed a break <laughs> So uh, just to uh, relax myself, we worked this out, and I thought it was pretty cute that the Anglophone got to sing the French words and the Francophone got to do the Anglo text. Anyway, a few years later, I was in the studio across the Atlantic and with uh, 20 minutes to spare at the end of the session with band and backing ladies, uh, I took a more formal crack at it. Plus je t'embrasse, plus je t'enlace, plus je t'aime. Plus je t'embrasse, plus j'aime t'embrasser, plus je t'enlace, plus j'aime t'enlacer. Le temps qui passe ne peut rien y changer. Mon Quebec, quand tu t'en vas, mais tu vas bien quand tu reviens. Plus je t'embrasse, plus j'aime t'embrasser. Je ne peux m'enlacer. J'en ai tellement envie que j'oublie tout dans ma vie. C'est insensé ce que j'aime t'embrasser. Plus je t'embrasse, plus 
Legion t'embrasser. Je ne peux m'en laisser et j'en ai tellement envie que j'oublie tout dans ma vie. C'est insensé. to you music and english words by ben ryan the gang that sang heart of my heart french words by max francois plus je t'embrasse plus j'aime t'embrasser which does not mean the gang that sang heart of my heart and i thank the ladies and the band there for helping me stitch the two together incidentally if you're wondering what song it is Uh, the gang was talking about in the gang that sang Heart of My Heart. Heart of My Heart is the first line in the chorus of a beloved ballad of 1899, The Story of the Rose, by uh, uh, Andrew Mack, if I recall correctly. I don't suppose Justin Bieber or Katy Perry would know it, but The Story of the Rose is still in the repertoire of barbershop quartets around the world. Rick McGuinness's Saturday movie date, Tal Backman on Sunday, James Dellingpole and his Dellingpod on Monday, and more of the Mark Stein Show with Ava, Leilani, Alexandra, and much more, all coming up at Stein Online. Stay safe, stay free, stay well. Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media.
deserve.